Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, church. Uh, welcome. If you're joining us online on the rooftop or wherever, across the street, somewhere else, uh, we are glad to have you with us. I want to go ahead and extend kind of at the outset today an invitation uh, to NBC's 10-year bash next week. I know. Amen. Amen. Uh, there's been so much that has gone on here over the last 10 years, and I, I'm known to say, uh, you know, our church, I view it as a sequence of miracles where God kind of saved the day on all these different uh, times. And, and so we're going to do some storytelling. We're going to eat some food. Uh, we're going we're gonna to rejoice in all the great things that God has done in the life of our church and look ahead to where uh, he's taken us in the months and years ahead. And so don't miss it. So Saturday night, we have a reception kind of thing. We're going to have a little program in here uh, and, and uh, go down memory lane a little bit and, and have some fun. And then uh, on Sunday, we're actually changing our time slots. Marcus will talk a little bit about that uh, more. We want to keep making room uh, to be able to reach people, okay? So uh, we'll be at three services next week, not two, uh, because we just can't get enough of each other. Um, and we want to make sure that we have the opportunity to be able to, to, uh, to reach people, okay? So come yourself and bring a bunch of people with you, okay? That's the deal. All right. I scratched my sunglasses this week. And, and that's, a, for a Californian, a very depressing thing. I mean, in some ways, it's almost better if you drop your phone and you crack the screen. Your sunglasses, if you live in San Diego, are kind of like a, like a hat for a cowboy. They're like, the, or the boots. They are part of the Southern California uniform. And sometimes I've, I've been known to wear a ball cap, and sometimes I'll take my shades and I'll put them on the, on the lid of the ball cap there, and then something will happen, and I'll need to bend over to pick something up, and so I do this, and they fall off. And they scratch. I got one big stinking scratch right across the left lens, my left, okay? Now, to you, I'm sure that that's not a big deal. After all, they're my sunglasses, not yours. But I will say this. Uh, it is quite annoying, quite annoying to be in a spot where all of a sudden, no matter what I do, I see this scratch, when I look at you, I see a scratch. When I am going to, uh, I'm in a restaurant, I want to order lunch, I see a scratch. There's nothing I can do to avoid seeing the stupid scratch. And so you get to a point where you just kind of want to take them off. But again, because it's beautiful, sunny Southern California, you got to wear your sunglasses because that's just part of, of life. All right? Well, what ends up happening, because I've done this before, is I'll just keep wearing them for a while and eventually... Uh, I will get to a point where I stop seeing the scratch. Uh, I'm looking through the lenses, and I used to see the scratch, but now I just see the world with that little mark on it, right? That lens is scratched kind of permanently in my mind until I get a new set of sunglasses or something like that. When people look at their lives, when they see the world, okay, many of, many of us, not all, but most of us have something. There was an event, there was a, a point in time where something happened by which you define everything else. You see the world through that scratch, right? It might be a tragedy that occurred in your life. It might be the moment you met the Lord. Uh, it might be uh, COVID-19. But there's a defining moment. There's something that happened in your life that you see the rest of the world through, Okay. And I want to talk to two groups of people today, the text and the story. We've been in this series called Storyline, and we're looking at, 
uh, stories in the Bible that have a direct encounter between God and his people and the different ways that he works. We got one more. That's next week. We're going to do the, uh, the ascension of Jesus next week uh, on our 10-year anniversary. But today we're going to take a break between Easter, the empty tomb, and before he ascends. There are some really, really great stories in there. And I want to talk to you today, two types of people. And you're probably in one of these camps. A, you're a follower of Jesus, right? Many of you, you're here for that very reason. On the other hand, you might be a person who's kind of experimenting with Jesus. You're kind of not sure. You think that he might be reaching out to you. He might be calling out to you. Uh, it may be that you at one point were a Christian. You were following Jesus, but then turned away from him for some period of time. And now you're kind of, you know, kind of curious, but there's something. The scratch on the lens is keeping you from doing that. I want to talk to you guys this morning, too. The last time that Peter had talked to Jesus, it didn't go so well. When Jesus talked to Peter last, it was to tell him to put his sword away because he'd try to hack off Malchus's ear. Now, he didn't try to take his ear. He was probably going for his head and just having to get the ear. And Jesus said, hey, put the sword away. It was a rebuke. Uh, the last time that Peter said anything in Jesus's direction, it was overheard. And it went like this. I don't know him. And then he went to the cross. And then he rose again. But then think about this. When you have unfinished business with somebody who's gone on, who's died, okay, that can really, really bother you. That can really become the scratch on the lens, to put it in the terms we've been talking about this morning. Okay? So we're going to pick this up in John chapter 21. If you have a Bible, Bible app, please get it open. When the scene opens, it's morning. Crispy morning, okay, that early, early time, all right? The lake is sparkling. The disciples are sad because Jesus is gone, so they think. They're tired from fishing all night. Uh, they really didn't want to fish all that badly. You kind of get the sense that they're kind of bored, that they've been sitting around for a while not knowing quite what to do now that he's gone. And so they decide, like good fishermen do, they decide, you know what, hey, let's, let's go fishing. What else are we going to do? So they go fishing. Uh, like some people will, will, you know, you've got your little hobby. You've got your thing that you do with your, with your friends. They did the same thing for them. It was fishing. Uh, so tired of sitting around, Peter leads the way. He says, hey, let's all go. The others thought it was a good idea. They say, okay, we're going with you. So they fish all night long into the cool of this next morning. But even for experienced fishermen like these people were, now remember these guys were pros. When Jesus calls them to follow him a few years earlier, they're professional fishermen, all right? So they're not, they're not like rookies at this. Now, I've been fishing, I think, twice in my life and actually caught something both times. These guys are pros. They don't catch anything. After an entire night, they catch nothing, all right? Not even a nibble. So suddenly a man yells from the shore, friends, have you no fish? To which I'm sure they go, thanks for rubbing it in, pal. Whoever it is, no, we don't have any fish. They say, throw your net off the right side of the boat. You'll find some there. You know, and I, <laughs> as I envision it, I don't think it's that that had not occurred to them all night long, right? Oh, off the right side. Well, man, I'm sorry we missed that the first time around. I guess we ought to throw it off the right side. Let's try that, John, shall you? Grab the net and off it goes. So they take it and they throw it in the water. And then, of course, they try to pull it back in. And as they try to pull it back in, it's hard. They struggle because it's so 
full of fish. So many, they have difficulty hauling in the net. In all, they grab 153 fish, not a bad day's haul, in one toss of the net. Instantly, John knows that this is not an ordinary morning. He's on the boat, and he just kind of knows what it's like when Jesus is nearby, when he's in the house. Things like that tend to happen. So we pick the action up in John 21, verse 7. Uh, Here's what the text says. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's code for John, okay, in the New Testament, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And check this out. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread, he gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, so Jesus gives them this breakfast. He invites them to have breakfast with him, okay? You can call this one of the first men's breakfasts in all of Scripture. Jesus and his disciples gather. Now, I want you to think about what it would be like to actually be able to share a meal with Jesus. Like to be able to sit down, ask him anything you want, want to. Just, hey, what about this? Hey, you remember the time I did this? Did that? You forgave that, right? You know, or, or what would you ask him? Well, these guys get their chance. They sit down with Jesus. They get to, to have this breakfast with him. And yet, once again, they've been out all night long. They've got to be tired. They had caught nothing. They have to be discouraged until this moment. They're probably cold based on what we know because he builds a fire. And so once again, he does this work of providing. We've talked a lot about his provision over the course of the series, right? It all starts with him turning water to wine when the wines run out. We talked about the feeding of the 5,000. Hey, the food's gone. What are we going to do now? Jesus says, tell you what, give what you got to me. I'll take care of it. And they pick up basketfuls left over, right? So they were They were hungry, and now he brings fish and bread. They were cold and wet. He brings a fire. They miss him, and poof, he appears. So this sort of thing has happened so many different times throughout Scripture. You kind of get the sense that he has this uh, way of just providing and reconciling and making things happen. Now go back again to the last two times that they'd encountered each other that we know of. Now, we know Peter's seen him, but there's no rec- recorded dialogue between the two of them post-resurrection really until this. So between the resurrection and this moment, the last thing that had been said was to Jesus, put away your sword, and Peter yelling that he doesn't know Jesus. Now, Jesus has already told him, you are the rock, and on you I am going to build my church, Okay? Uh, but, but when he denies him, this is a pivotal, pivotal moment in the life of Peter. In fact, it's one of the few things that's actually recorded in all four Gospels, his going splat when he was put under a little bit of pressure. Now, when they do that, I mean, you have like the resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000, 
And other than that, there are very few things recorded in all four Gospels, but Peter's denial of Christ is one of them. Well, is that how it's going to end? Peter denies Jesus. Jesus is crucified. Jesus is raised. He ascends. But then he has this unfinished business with Peter. Well, thankfully, Jesus has come to this moment with reconciliation on his mind. So look at verse 15 of chapter 21. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then get this, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then Peter, then he said to him, Follow me. Okay, so he has this threefold. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? My feelings are hurt. You know everything. You know I love you. Okay. Feed my sheep. And just so you know, in the old days, Peter, as you know, you could escape crucifixion. He did that once by the fire when you denied me three times. Now, this is what awaits you. Now that you're older, they're going to stretch you out like they stretch me out, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And then he says to him again, follow me. New call, right? So three times he denies him. Three times he affirms now his uh, love for Jesus. New call, follow me. Just like when he dropped his nets at the beginning and followed him, all right? And I want to just talk first to those of you who maybe are away from the Lord or have been for some time, okay? You can always come back to God, always. I mean, Jesus could have easily just ascended, right? He could have just said, okay, empty tomb. I did what I was here to do. Poof, I'm gone. But I think the fact that he takes the steps here, like he's the one that goes to them and kind of tracks Peter down, I think that's important. I mean, why would he do that? Well, because we learn throughout, for instance, the Gospel of Luke in Luke 15, you have the story of the prodigal son where the father is waiting for the son to come home. And as he comes back toward the house, the father runs to meet him. The stories before that, lost sheep and lost coin. It's the father is the one that's pictured as the pursuer, right? So I can particularly in the um, story of the lost coin in Luke 15, he, it's, God is pictured like a widow who's lost her last coin and digging through the sofa cushions looking. So it's not even just that it's the job of every person who's gone away from God. It is their job, if you want to put it in those things. But I want you to understand something, that God is not content to just leave you out there. He's going to keep pursuing you no matter how far you try to run from him. All right? So Peter here, Jesus hunts him down and, and sets this encounter up over the fire and over Uh, And the hospitality of God comes to full display. And I I guess I'm just wanting to say to you, if that's 
where you are, okay? The story of Peter is, is the story of many of us. Okay, we, maybe you once walked closely with Jesus and that at some key moment in your life you took off. Now, maybe you've been away for a while. Okay, but that doesn't mean that that's where the story has to end. And if God has his way, eventually he's going to keep pursuing you to at least you have to be able to go stand in front of him again and say, do you love me? So the question becomes then, what will you say? And if you say yes, then he's going to say, feed my lambs. There are some of us here that, like Peter, after walking closely with Christ, at some point in your life, you walked away. It might have been that you got hurt in a church. It might be that uh, for some, you know, a divorce uh, that you got into where your feelings were devastated and you were grieving that or your spouse that you were married to helped lead you away from the Lord. It might have been a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend whose affection you desired more than his. It might be that the scratch on the lens, if you will, is that just the sheer distraction of confused priorities or grief that's birthed by tragedy in your life, whatever caused it. Okay, you can come back to Jesus because he's going to find you. <laughs> you can't run away from him forever. C.S. Lewis called him the hound of heaven, right? like a bloodhound. He just, he's, he's continuing to pursue you. So this story is for those who have stories uh, where they once were with Jesus and they maybe turned away. Uh, but then let's, let's go back and ask a question about this fire and the meal and this kind of lengthy hospitality thing we get here. And I think that's where I'd like to, to focus next, okay? The hospitality of Jesus. Remember, this is who he is. He is hospitable. And a lot of people make uh, a lot of the language here because he, he kind of, uh, in Greek, when he says, do you love me, the word for love bounces around. So it's not the same word for love in each time he asks him, and people try to make a lot out of that. But I think the bigger point here is that the threefold nature of the confession that he gets from Peter kind of sends teens to offset the threefold denial that he had earlier. Now, uh, he has to reaffirm his love for Jesus three different times. That scene even takes place by a fire, which might have reminded him of the fire in the courtyard when he denied Jesus. It happens right there by a fire. So now he has a chance to profess Christ around a fire. Okay, well, maybe that's it. Well, I think, again, Jesus has already declared he's, gonna, he's going to build the church on Peter. This exchange between Peter and Jesus is about assuring Peter is, is, is prepared to take on his role as early church leader. It almost reads a little bit like an ordination service, if you look at it through that lens. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? He gets his feelings hurt. Peter, feed my sheep. And by the way, here's where that road goes. It goes to the cross. You know, it's funny. I, I wish he'd written in, so do you still love me, Pete? Now, now that you know that's where it leads, you still, you still want to do this. Because you tried to dodge it. The first time you were confronted with it, and of course we know how this story springs forward. You know, he, he's restored here, and Peter goes on to become this amazing apostle and preacher who's known for his boldness. But it starts here with Jesus restoring him. Jesus, the good shepherd, had shown them throughout his time on earth what it was like 
to feed his sheep. Now, to feed Christ's sheep, what does that even mean? Well, it means to feed them the way that God has fed us. He's showing them what it's like to feed in the act of, well, feeding them, right? Literally feeding them at the moment. Well, it means giving them uh, what makes them nourished and fluffy, (laughs) what makes them healthy. So in the same way, when we're feeding the sheep, we're trying to feed them good food. We're trying to feed them things that allow them to, to prosper spiritually. We're trying to help them have an encounter with Christ that lasts. We're trying to give them things that are full of, spiritually speaking, the vitamins of the gospel, things that actually lead to abundant life. When the kingdom of God, okay, is pictured as a feast, it isn't pictured, again, like the dollar menu at at Wendy's. I'm one of those guys that if there's a dollar menu or a value menu, if I'm in a drive-thru, it's like the rest of the menu isn't even there. I only see it, I only see that. So if I go to Wendy's or Taco Bell or whatever, I only see that, right? And I'm like, okay, how can I get as much food for the cheapest that I can? All right, well, this is different. The kingdom of God is built as this, is, is looked at as this lavish feast And Jesus here in 21.9 says when they landed, when the boat gets ashore, they saw a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. In the upper room, when Jesus institutes the Last Supper, he doesn't just prepare a meal. He washes his guests' feet at the feeding of the 5,000. When he feeds there, what happens? Well, there's basketfuls left over. God's people, as they become more Christ-like, they become more hospitable, more generous with their service and what they provide. I mean, imagine you came to the, we, Em and I invited you guys over for lunch today. I'm not doing that, by the way. Don't come to my house today. I'm going to need a nap after today. But it was maybe sometime down the road we'll do that, right? You'll say you've invited our house, and I say, hey, I really like you to come for lunch. So you come to the house, okay, you knock on the door, nobody answers the, the door. All right, so you have to pound for a while, and eventually somebody kind of opens the door. You know how people that are in a rush, they kind of open it and then go back to what they were doing? I do that. I bolt away from you, and I, I go back into the kitchen, and I kind of ignore you from that point on. I kind of just say, hey, uh, you know what? There's, some, uh, there's something to drink over there in, in the fridge. And so you go to the fridge, and, and I don't get you anything. I don't get you a glass. I don't pour anything for you. Uh, I just kind of say you're on your own. So you open the fridge, you go inside, you go for the lemonade or something. And I go, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's for the kids, the, the tap's over there. Okay, and, and I, you go over to the tap and I go, all right, don't use a glass. Here's a, here's a paper cup. Um, and I keep doing this, right? You ask, oh, yeah, you know, you're kind of hinting that you want to eat something. And all I do is put a little bowl of cashews or something in front of you. And say, lunch is served. Well, you would go, at some point, if this drug on, you wouldn't wonder why I invited you in the first place. Because attached to an invitation, by nature, you're saying, I invite you into my home and I plan to treat you with hospitality. Right? It's, it's like the subtext of any invitation to lunch that you give people. It's a way in our culture that we say, hey, I enjoy your company. I want to show you hospitality right? So when 
we are called to feed the sheep of Christ, and with them we, we pair it up with how he does it, okay? Here's how he feeds people. Now, we're called to feed people. How ought we to do it? Well, we ought to do it the way he does it, lavishly, joyfully, not just begrudgingly, and it probably starts with us eating, too. It's hard to feed people if you don't have any food to give them, right? So, because we've received from Christ, now I can go ahead and do whatever. Now, many of us, when it comes down to feed my sheep, a lot of people, a lot of Christians mentally, they put themselves in the position of sheep. They think that they're here to consume things. I'm here to eat. That's not really what's happening. He says to Peter, feed my sheep. We're feeders. We're the people who when, if you bring your friend with you next week, okay, what I hope you're going to see and what you're going to find, because this is the kind of church we want to be, right? We're a, we're a feeding church. For, for people who are still trying to discover uh, who God is and, and, and his church and the beauty thereof, okay, I, wanna, I want them to come in and I want them to get the sense that, hey, they, you know what, they really actually like the fact that I'm here. They're glad I'm here. I got something out of that. Uh, I don't seem like a nuisance to them. Uh, Tim seemed like he cared about what he was saying, and it appears that in some way, shape, or form, he actually worked on it. That I'll spare you me getting on the mic over here, but if I were to get over here and I were to try to lead worship, that you would get the sense that I believed what I was saying, right? That whatever we have to serve, we serve joyfully, abundantly, and that when possible, just like food, we use the crock pot over the microwave. We don't just, now hear me here, I'm not saying that you can't have hospitality on paper plates and paper cups. You come to our house, it happens a lot. All right, but you're going to know we're glad you're there, and you're going to we're going to hopefully be able to provide a lot of food. And we're, but you're going to know we are glad that you're there. Okay, we want that. That is a part of being a disciple. That is a part of the yes, I love you, Lord. Then He says to us, "Okay, feed my sheep." Then that means that means you know if you're teaching or preaching or whatever, right? Then 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 they need to feel like. As Fred Craddock used to say, preach like you know they almost didn't come, right? That, that, that there's an urgency to what we're doing and to say, hey, listen, I mean, look, picture this. You're given a storehouse of the finest grain in the world, and you're given over a herd. There's a farmer that gives you the storehouse, gives you uh, kind of a provision. You're the one that's supposed to feed all of his animals while he's gone, okay? Uh, so he takes off, and when he comes back, after some period of time, he looks and all of his animals are dirty and sick and underfed. And when he asks what you've been doing, you say to yourself, I've done a great job. I've done a great job. I've managed to keep all of them alive. And look at all the grain I've saved. I didn't even have to serve all the grain that you gave me. And would he look at us and say, oh, you've done a great job. That's exactly what I wanted you to do. Or would he look and he say, why didn't you feed my animals? That's why I gave you all the daggum grain in the first place. You see the difference? One is a, a mentality 
that says we will provide the minimum possible. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep the sheep alive. And the other one is to say, oh no, 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 no. We're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to provide the best food, sheep food money can buy. And when you are being fed, then at some point, hopefully it's soon, you now become a feeder. Right? So you're eating, it's like sheep. They got wool, you take off the wool, it grows right back. I keep eating, and we provide. We eat, we provide. We eat, we feed. We eat, we feed. We eat, we feed. With the attitude that you see Jesus feed his sheep. That's what it means in part to love the Lord. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Whose sheep? His. So he's the farmer. He's left us all the stuff that we can. Uh, that, that, that All the riches of the kingdom. I mean, he's there. He's at... Uh, uh, parties and meals. He talks about his vision of the, of the kingdom in these terms where there, there are festivals and meals and such, okay? And that's why we, we want to do things to the best of our ability, quote-unquote, because God's given us these gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the resources we have. He's given us the building we have. He's given us all the human kind of Holy Spirit-driven capital that this church has for a reason, because we love him, he turns us then toward the city we're in, the area we're in, and says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. There was a great uh, article some time ago in Christianity Today, uh, and it was a gal named Amy Simpson, and she was talking about uh, the society page in the newspaper. Her grandmother died, and they have these old chests. Some of you may have this or inherited one like a big cedar chest. And so she went in and she pulled out some of her grandma's stuff. She found like silver and china and little things like that, right? And then gets to the bottom, there's an old newspaper in there. So she pulls it open. Uh, you younger people, a newspaper was like a, uh, a printed thing on paper that you opened. Real paper. I mean, it was on actual paper. It was awesome. And she pulls it open, society page. And in there, she would read about all this stuff going on. There was a bridge party uh, over here, and the ladies were playing bridge on Thursdays at 7. And then over here, this is so-and-so had had so-and-so over for dinner one night and all these things. And, and little pictures of meals that people had had where they'd served the meals on fine china and these kinds of things. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Okay? We may not all have silver in china, okay? but what she says here I think is important. She, she says, I used to think it was weird to see silver serving sets, complete sets of beautiful china, ice buckets, crystal glasses, and other entertainment accessories in the homes of people who'd been around for a while. It seemed like a waste. But something about it actually makes sense to me. It suggested that people valued hospitality and community and saw those special occasions as worthy of something extra. Now, obviously... We're not all going to have that stuff, and nor is it important to have that for hospitality. So in our culture, a lot of our hospitality is attitudinal, right? You can tell when somebody wants you there and when you're, you know, you've outstayed your welcome. Yeah, boy, I got to, well, I got to work tomorrow, you know. And, you know, they're trying to basically say, get out of my house. 
Um, I want us to think between now and next week about the kind of way we want to feed God's people and how we can do that and how we can do it in a way that, that doesn't just pay lip service to, yes, I love you, Lord, we'll feed my sheep. Okay, I'll keep them alive. No, 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 no. I want when the good shepherd returns, I want him to be happy at how fat the sheep are and how many new feeders we've got, right? He's going to be pleased with the job that I did, that you did, that our church did, of feeding his sheep as a demonstration of our great love for him. See, it's not just about kind of benign, random acts of service. It's about a demonstration of our passion and love for the shepherd. It's not just, it's not just that, you know, uh, people deserve it or you know, we live in a very rights-based society and everybody deserves to be, well, we don't, we don't deserve much at all. But it's the right thing to do in the kingdom of God. God values and cherishes people and every single person out there, both inside this room and outside that room, has value to God. And because of that, he says, I want, I want, I want to, to renew my relationship, just like he does with Peter here. I want to renew my relationship with you and the people that are outside this room, and he's unlikely to stop anytime soon. He will keep pursuing until that relationship is restored, and then when you say to him, yes, I love you, Lord, great, feed my sheep. We may not all have silver in China, but we have enough to build a charcoal fire, put some fish and bread on it. We have enough to help people figure out on which side of the boat to cast their net because we know where the fish are. And we have enough to wash feet between the toes and everything, <laughs> and set Christ apart from others through the hospitality that we share. And we've been given this pure bread of the Word of God, the gift of worship, the blessing of seeing generosity demonstrated in its purest form on the cross, and we have all the gifts that the Spirit provides at our disposal. So, Christ calls this morning, do you love me? Yes, Lord, we love you. Feed my sheep, he says. Don't just keep them alive, or heaven forbid, let them perish for lack of healthy food. Feed them as I would feed them. Feed them abundantly. Well, Jesus, make no mistake, he has a spot reserved for you by the campfire. There's some good food there. And the chance for you to reconcile if you've been away from, from him. Your story does not have to end by that other fire, with denial, uh, with addiction, uh, with grief or loneliness or Christlessness, Jesus stands before all of us this morning saying, do you love me? And if so, feed my sheep. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So he's feeding his sheep through us. Okay, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we love Jesus, and therefore we love his people. And we feed them his word. We feed them compassion. 
We feed them by loving them. And as we do, we hear the voice of the good shepherd saying, well done. And for us, that's enough. That's enough. Um, we're going to take communion now. And this is a time where you get to feast on the good shepherd's food for you. But I hope we'll hear in the background, first of all, that there are extra seats here at the table that he'd like to see filled. Um, Jesus, uh, when we take this, and by the way, you're, you should have gotten a little bag with the elements in, in there. If you didn't and you'd like uh, some bread and a cup, just stick your hand in the air like this, and we've got ushers with stuff, and we'd be happy to give you some. We've got some out in the middle here. Um, this morning, I want to encourage you to um, really focus on what it means that uh, he shared uh, this meal with us. This is our campfire today. So we're going to feast on the good things that God has for us. If you've been away from God, turn back to him. If you've been walking with God for a while, maybe it's time for you to start feeding his sheep instead of just gorging yourself on a daily basis. Time to start feeding. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper now, and as we do, we'll hear his call to feed his lambs, to feed his sheep. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning, and as we take the bread, which represents his body, that was slain on the cross, the cup, which represents his blood that was shed for us, Father. Uh, here, Father, we, uh, we remember that great act of grace, and we hear the call of the one who fed us, saying, if you love me, feed my sheep. Well, we do love you, Lord. And so we accept the challenge, we accept the charge, give us the wisdom, give us the gifts, give us the strength, give us everything that we need to feed your sheep in such a way that you would be pleased. You have fed us so richly by the power of your hand. So now, Father, may we, because of that, demonstrate our great love for you by feeding your sheep. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.